All right. Well, good morning, Soul City. How are we? Huh? Good? Good. Good. Let's hope it stays that way. Uh, well, once again, my name is John Jorgensen, and I want to start this morning just by saying two quick things about that video in my defense. I have a bit of a conspiracy theory about this, and I want to share it with you. I believe that whoever came up with the concept of that video did so as a personal attack to me. Because that video combines two things that I am all-time terrible at. One, answering questions quickly, off-the-cuff, unfiltered. I am the type of person that likes to plan out what I'm going to say, so that doesn't work well for me. And then two, I do not work well with my hands. I am terrible, okay? As you could probably tell from my... I hesitate to even call it a creation, but like, I'm not crafty, okay? I, if you gave me a two by four, I couldn't make a wooden plank out of it. You know what I mean? Like, I am not good with working with my hands, which is why it's actually kind of ironic that I am the person that they have chosen to kick off our new series this week. Today, we are beginning this new series called Handcrafted. And in this series, we're talking about how God has specifically created and wired you. Now, if you've spent any time around church, you've probably heard someone refer to God as our creator, right? And usually in church, we talk about God as our creator in sort of a general sense. We say things like, God made you, you're his creation. But what's interesting is that if you actually look at the Bible, the language that the biblical writers use to talk about God as our creator is actually very, very specific. The Psalms talk about God knitting us together in our mother's womb. It's this very precise practice, right? The, the prophet Isaiah talks about a God who calls each and every one of us by name. When Jesus talked about it, he said that God even knows the number of hairs on our head. You see, the truth is, is that God is not our creator in sort of this general sense, but God was specific in the way that he created each and every one of us. The truth is, you are utterly unique and special. Everything your mom ever told you is true. You are a special snowflake. That's the good news this morning. And this series, it's not just about you feeling really special. But in this series, we actually want to talk about how God wants to use your uniqueness to do a transforming work both in your life and in the lives of others. God wants to use your unique design in order to have a huge impact on his kingdom. That's what we're talking about over these next three weeks. But to start us off this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and answer this question. What is the greatest story ever told? It can be real, not real fiction, not whatever. What is the greatest story ever told? Ask, talk to the person next to you right now for the next 30 seconds. All right, all right, come on back to me. Come on back. Come on back to me. Now, now I'm sure that, that sparked some debate, right? I'm sure we had many, many different answers all around the room. Maybe, maybe to gather a few. How many of you said Harry Potter? Yes. Yes, a few of you. Very good. That would not only be my answer, but that, I guarantee you, was my wife's answer to that question. 
My wife is obsessed with Harry Potter. In fact, Aaron consistently reminds me that if Harry Potter were a real person, she would have married him and not me. <laughs> it's true. It's a tough look for me. Luckily, though, uh, Harry is not real, and so that makes me the chosen one. Here we go. Uh, next, how about this? Anyone say Star Wars? Star Wars? Yeah, me neither. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Star Wars. Star Wars is great. Star Wars is great. Uh, Pastor Jarrett may be on sabbatical, but he did promise me that if I did not at least mention Star Wars here, then my sermon would not be blessed this morning. So shouts to you, Pastor Jarrett. Uh, all right. Well, some of, you, some of you were maybe a little bit more creative than I'm giving you credit for, right? Some of you maybe didn't think of a movie or a book, but your greatest story ever told is a true, real-life Chicago story. You know, here's the thing. Do you remember the story surrounding that game? Like game seven, world series, a hundred and eight year curse, rain delay. Like the story of the 2016 Cubs was unbelievable. And I guarantee you that most of you in the room, you have your own story surrounding that night, don't you? You know where you were, you know what you were doing, you know how much you cried after they won. Like, and my guess is anytime this picture shows up or anytime someone brings up the Cubs winning the World Series, you tell the story of where you were when they won. You see, there's something in our design as humans where we just love a good story, don't we? Like, think about it. That's why we watch so many movies and TV shows. That's why we read books and listen to podcasts. We love a good story. And I think part of the reason that God designed us in this way is because God also loves a good story. I'll show you where I get this from. Uh, why don't you do me a favor and reach down and grab the Bible that is under the chair in front of you. Go ahead and grab that Bible. Now, how many of you would agree that this book, the Bible, is sort of our main source for understanding God. Raise your hand if you would say, it's not a trick question. This is sort of where, if we want to know who God is, we would look here, right? Yeah, I think that's true. The Bible, this is our foundation as Christians for understanding who God is. And not only that, but this book is how we understand who God is in relation to us as humans. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. The Bible is made up of all different types of literature, in the Bible, you'll find poetry, you'll find history, you'll find biography, but the main type of literature in the Bible is narrative, story. In fact, around 60% of this book, nearly two-thirds of the Bible, is a story. I mean, think about it. Here, quick Bible quiz for you. What are the first three words in Genesis? In the... They might as well have said, once upon a time, you know? <laughs> See, there's something about a story. So let's review here. This book, it is our main way of learning and understanding who God is. And the writers of this book could have chosen to communicate that in any number of ways, but they chose to do it through story. You see, what the Bible reveals to us is that God reveals his glory through story. God has chosen to reveal his heart and his beauty, the way he moves and acts in the world. God reveals his glory through story. And not just through any story, but God reveals his glory through human stories. And what we're going to do today is we're actually going to look at a few different stories in the Bible. And my hope is that through looking at how God is authoring and working in these stories 
that you might begin to see and even be encouraged that God is authoring and working in your story as well, because I believe he is, and my hope is, over the next 20 minutes or so, you will believe it as well. Are you with me? All right, let's do this. I'm so excited. Okay, Uh, turn your Bibles, the Bible in your hand right now, turn it to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, which is on page 783 in your Soul City Bibles, page 783, Matthew chapter 1. Okay, so this passage that you are flipping to right now, this is the beginning of what is called the New Testament. This is sort of the second half of the Bible, and it is the beginning of the first of four Gospels. These are the four accounts, the four stories of Jesus' life that we get in the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the story of Jesus begins. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, okay, hold on, I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Now I know what some of you are thinking, right? (laughs) You're thinking, John, uh, you're doing great, but (laughs) you are giving a message on the importance and power of story. Great idea. And you just told us that this book is made up of 60% narrative. But instead of choosing any of those amazing stories in the Bible, you chose to teach us from a genealogy. Well, yes, I did. But here's a better question for you. You see, earlier we asked the question, what is the greatest story ever told? And let's be honest, there's only one real answer to that question, especially if you're in church. The answer is the gospel, right? The story of Jesus's life. I'm here to tell you there is simply no story that is more powerful, more redemptive, more tragic, more unexpected. There is no single story that has had more influence on our world than the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. It's the greatest story ever told. So a better question would be, for the writer of Matthew, why would you choose to begin the greatest story of all time with a family tree, with a list of names that we can't even pronounce. I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I'm a writer. I consider myself a pretty good storyteller. This is not how you grab your audience's attention. I was always so confused with why the writer of Matthew would choose to begin such an epic story in this way. But then I realized something. Can I show it to you? I'm going to anyway. So. What I realized is that each name that appears in this list, that person has a story. And what the writer wants you to do is when you read that name, to think back to that person's story. And so here's what I did. I started looking into the stories of the people who appear on this list. And when I started looking into their stories, I found some things that I didn't expect. Can I share a few of them with you now? 
All right, here we go. Again, I'm going to anyway. Why do I ask? Uh, So I discovered the story of a man named Judah and a woman named Tamar. Now, Tamar was married to Judah's oldest son. Judah is Tamar's father-in-law. But when Judah's oldest son died, Judah promised Tamar that she could marry his second oldest son. But then when that didn't work out, it just sort of kept getting going down the line until Judah ran out of sons and completely forgot about Tamar. So Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute, and one night, not recognizing her, Judah enlists her services. To be clear, Judah sleeps with his daughter-in-law, and then she becomes pregnant with twins whose names are Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, I know some of you are thinking, come on, John, that's not in the Bible. Genesis 38, look it up. <laughs> this book makes Game of Thrones look tame, people. <laughs> Cersei and Jamie ain't got nothing on Judah and Tamar. <laughs> They're the OG. Never mind. And here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. You do not have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to understand the cultural context and the traditions of Genesis in order to get the point that Judah and Tamar's story is not a very happy one, right? This isn't really a story that you would be proud of. And again, this doesn't mean that Judah and Tamar are bad people. It just means they make bad mistakes sometimes. Like Jarrett likes to say, they're a mixed bag, kind of like you and me. Can I share another story? All right, so uh, this one. Uh, Tamar, she is only one of a few women who appear in this genealogy. It's mostly men. But another woman that appears, and this woman doesn't actually get mentioned by name, but in verse 6 of Matthew 1, it talks about Solomon, David's son, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Some of you may not know who Uriah is. Now, Uriah was a warrior who fought in King David's army. That's David of David and Goliath, that David. And one night, while Uriah is off fighting King David's war, the king is walking on his roof, and he sees through a window, he sees Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And David calls Bathsheba to him. He has her brought to him. And when she becomes pregnant with King David's baby, David's got to cover up his lie. And so what he does is he calls Uriah home from the war for a one-night conjugal visit with Bathsheba. So it's conceivable that the baby could be his before having Uriah sent back and murdered on the battlefield. Also, David could cover up his adultery. Again, not really the type of story you want showing up in your 23andMe, you know? I'm telling you, people, I could go all down this list. I could tell you about Jacob. Jacob, who basically spent the entire first half of his life lying and deceiving and stealing from his family, okay? I could tell you about lesser-known characters like Rehoboam. When Rehoboam was king over God's people, he led all of God's people into idolatry, as did his son Abijah after him. I'm telling you that all throughout this genealogy are stories of deceit and murder and sexual sin and familial abuse and political corruption. The list just goes on and on and on. And then in verse 16, it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The writer of Matthew 
gives you all of these strange, dark, kind of messed up stories. And out of all of that, you get Jesus. Why would the writer choose to begin this story in this way? Because the writer wants you to know from the beginning that not only does God reveal his glory through story, but God reveals his greatest glory through broken stories. I'm here to tell you, the family tree of Jesus, it is filled with darkness. But out of that darkness, God brought the light of the world. I mean, think about it. This is so obvious once you see it. Think about the story of Jesus. What is it but the story of a man who was broken on a cross and given over to death in the darkness of a tomb? But it was out of that dark and broken story that God brought his greatest glory when Jesus Christ rose three days later to defeat sin and death forever. Do you see it now? Now, here's my question for you. What is your story? What's the story that God's telling in your life? You're sitting here this morning, maybe you're watching online, and I imagine there's probably some of you in here who, maybe somewhat like some of these characters, your story is pretty dark. Maybe you have some brokenness in your story. Maybe right now you're just in like a really dark chapter. Maybe you come here this morning and you hear about God revealing his glory through story, but you think about your life and you're like, no, no, there's no glory there. There's no glory in how I screwed up my marriage or in my parents' divorce. There's no glory in me losing that family member unexpectedly. There's no glory in my childhood, John. You don't know my parents. There's no glory in the mistakes that I have made. There's no glory in my story. We talked earlier about how all humans love a good story, right? And there is one thing that unites every great story. It is that every great story has conflict. Think about it. Every story that you love, it has conflict somewhere in it. And the greatest stories often have the greatest conflict. I posted something to Instagram earlier this week, and a friend of mine left a comment And the post had nothing to do with stories. Actually, the comment made no sense with the post. You ever get one of those? But but I I thought it was really interesting, because here's what he said. He said, the best stories are told in conflict. But when we encounter conflict in our own lives, we see God as unjust rather than a master storyteller. I responded right away. I was like, thank you for writing my message this weekend. (laughs) Checks in the mail, bro. And let's be clear, this is not to say that you are just a pawn, right? This isn't to say that you are some expendable character so that God can tell a better story. But what this teaches us and what the Bible shows us is that it is actually in the darkest chapters of our stories that God's light shines the brightest. I'll give you an example from my own life. Uh, During my last year of college, I went through one of the darker seasons that I ever have. Um, specifically in my relationship with my wife. Um, Aaron and I, we had been dating for five years at that point, and we were sure we were going to get married. Like, the ring was all but bought, people. Um, but at that point, uh, our story as a couple, it was pretty broken, um, mostly because of mistakes that I had made. I, uh, 
I had broken her trust a lot. I just told lie after lie, piled secret on top of secret. And at one point when I screwed up again, she just kind of put her hands in the air. She's like, John, I am done. Can't do this anymore. And at that point, I was sure that I'd lost her. You know, I thought it was over and it was a dark time for me. I felt really hopeless. But in that time, here's the cool thing that happened. In that time, I watched as God started to shine the light of his forgiveness and grace in my life through Aaron. And I don't think I ever really understood what real forgiveness, what real grace actually was until God wrote a dark chapter in which he shined the light of his forgiveness through my wife. And I want you to know I stand here today and the first five years of our relationship, for the most part, it was defined by darkness and brokenness. But these past five years have been defined by the light of God's forgiveness and grace. Our very marriage, it is a glimpse. It is evidence that God has redeeming power. Now, I understand that it looks like my story. It ties up in a nice, neat little bow. Like, I got the girl, you know? Like, good for me. Um... (laughs) And we're, we're out of that now. I, I'm so grateful we're out of that dark season. But the reality is, is that for some of you, you're still in one right now. Some of you are still in a very dark chapter of your story, and I want you to know I am so, I'm so sensitive to that. I really am. And I also want you to know that I am not saying that this sermon is just going to fix it. I wish it could. I'm not standing up here today telling you to just get over it or just move on. But what I am asking you to do is believe that this is a chapter in your story, not the conclusion of your story. I'm asking you to maybe have a little faith and maybe just have a little bit of trust today that God is a master storyteller. And if he can use the broken stories of Jesus's messed up ancestors, why can't he use your story? Why can't he use your story to bring light into this world? Now, hold on, because I'm not done with you. Um, There's others of you in this room, and you're telling yourself a different story in your head. You're thinking to yourself, well, my story's too boring. John, my story's pretty average. It's normal. Like, John, I've never had any major darkness in my life. I've never had an addiction. I've never gone to prison. Like, I grew up in a good home, John. Sue me. Like, what do you want me to do? I've never had this big conversion experience in my faith. I just, I've sort of always believed in God and I just try and follow Jesus to this day. And you think to yourself, how could such a normal, boring story ever be used for the glory of God? Well, let's play it out for a second, shall we? If your story is so normal, then that means that a lot of other people probably have a similar story to yours. That means that all of those people, they probably feel just as inadequate and just as insecure to be used by God as you do. So I wonder if you, sharing your story with them, might encourage them that God even uses the boring stories. God even uses the mundane stories. God doesn't just work in the dramatic. God doesn't just work in the incredible. But God works in the everyday, in the mundane, in the person who grew up with two parents, a dog, and a brother who came to the city. Like, your average story, God can actually use that. That's the truth. And still, there are others of you in this room where God has actually done something amazing in your life recently. Yes, and praise him for that. Because, by the way, he still does that stuff. 
God still tells those stories too. And while I want you to know, I think that is awesome. I think it's so good that that story, it's been a blessing in your life. But I also wonder how many more people God wants to bless through that story once you find the courage to share it. One of God's favorite ways to show the world who he is, it is through human stories. And not just through stories that existed 2,000 years ago in an ancient book, but God is still using human stories to show the world who he is today. Your story, it is a glimpse of God's glory. The story, maybe you've never even thought about this before, but the reality is, this is a very spiritual matter. The story that God is telling in your life, it is actually a glimpse of his grace. Maybe for you, it's a glimpse of his power. Maybe for you, it's a glimpse of his ability to transform a relationship. Maybe for you, your story is a glimpse of God's love. But the reality is, is God wants to use your unique story to show the world who he is. That's why he gave it to you. And the really cool thing about this is that this is actually a process that God invites us to take part in. And we do this by doing two things, and this is your homework, so pay attention. First, it's very simple. You gotta find your story. And now, some of you think, well, John, it's my life. I know what happened. Thanks, next. (laughs) But have you ever actually taken the time to sit and pray and reflect not on the facts of your life, but on how God has been writing and working in your life. Have you ever asked yourself questions like, what struggles has God brought me through? Have you ever asked yourself, what what journeys has God taken me on where I was different when I returned than I was when I left? What conflicts has God brought resolution to in my life where at the time it was very surprising because that person, she mm -mm, never thought it'd be better with her, but now it is. And looking back, it's so clear that was God writing a new chapter to the story. You see, here's how I make it very simple for you. The answer to questions like that, that's your story. We don't need to hear your whole life biography, okay? All you got to do, just take 10 minutes this week. Please, do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Do others a favor. Sit on your porch. Take a walk. Talk it out with your Uber driver. I don't care. (laughs) Whatever you got to do. But the thing is, if we want to be used by God in this way, if we want God to use our stories to show the world who he is, we first got to find our story. Now, the second thing, you got to find your stage. Every story has a stage on which it's played. In other words, what is the vehicle that you are going to use to bring your story to the world? Obviously, for me, my stage is very literally a stage. I've been up on this stage this morning sharing some of the stories of what God has done in my life. But for most of you, your stage isn't going to look like this. I'll tell you a story of my friend Matt. Um, Matt and I... We grew up doing theater together, um, and Matt comes from a bit of a broken family. Uh, His parents are divorced, and Matt has always struggled with the question of where do I belong? Sort of felt like he never had a real family. And Matt still spends a lot of time around the theater, only now he doesn't perform. He's a director. He directs plays. He directs musicals. And Matt doesn't spend a lot of time on stage, but his rehearsal room 
That's the stage where he tells his story. And the crazy thing is, if you ask any actor who has ever been in one of Matt's shows, they will tell you that the kid who was always afraid he never had a real family creates a real family every time he directs a show. And by the way, he doesn't always tell his cast that story explicitly, but they experience the story of what God is doing in his life through his leadership at work. About five years ago, um, my mom lost her mom to Alzheimer's. And it was, that was a dark chapter in our family's story. But every year since then, every year around this time, my mom organizes a team and raises money for the Alzheimer's Association in the walk to end Alzheimer's. And that walk every year, that's her stage. My mom's watching online right now, and I am so proud of her. Mom, I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you for telling your story, for telling grandma's story, for telling great-grandpa's story. Now, I wonder what your stage is. I mean, it can be anything. It can be the team you lead at work. It can be the children you nanny. It can be the bar you go to with your friends. I don't care. What's important, and the decision that we all have to make today is that when God sets the stage, I will share my story. When God gives me a stage, I will find the courage to share my story with other people because here's the reality. You do not know. You have no idea what God might want to do through your story. You have no idea who God might want to touch, who God might want to encourage, whose life God might actually change through hearing your story. I'll give you an example of this from right here at Soul City. Many of you remember earlier this summer during our last baptism service, we showed you a video of a guy named Danny. And many of you perhaps remember Danny's story has some dark chapters. Uh, he, uh, for many years, was involved in drug dealing and he almost went to prison several years ago. But God has done a transforming, amazing work in Danny's life through a relationship with Jesus. And Danny was presented with an opportunity. God showed him a stage, and Danny stepped up on that stage, and he bravely shared his story, Baptism Sunday, through that video. Many of you know that part of it. But here's the part of the story that you don't know. After seeing that video, after hearing her husband's story, Danny's wife got baptized that day. And it's amazing. And now Danny's whole extended family is starting to come to Soul City and experience the transformation that he experienced all because he found the courage to share his story. Here's a thought for you. I wonder if you sharing your story is actually the key for someone else to write their next chapter. I had a conversation with Danny this week, and he was telling me that story. And one of the things he kept saying over and over again was, I never thought, you know what, John, I never thought in a million years, I never thought I'd be the type of person talking at a church and sharing things about my life. And I never thought my story could mean anything to anybody. It absolutely can. I wonder who God wants to encourage or touch or change through your story. I wonder what people you don't even know. I wonder what people you do know. Uh, the people, here's the thing, the people who are around you each and every day, 
God wants to reach those people. God created those people, as we talked about earlier. God loves those people, and he wants to show those people his love. He wants to show them his grace. He wants to show them his mercy, and he wants to use you to do it. And we feel pretty inadequate, don't we? We feel pretty unqualified because I'm not a pastor. I haven't read the whole Bible. I'm not going to know the answers to their questions. Here's the thing. You might not have any of those things, but you do have a story. God has equipped you with everything you need in order to show the world who he is. It's called your life. And will you find the courage when God sets the stage to tell that story? Because here's the thing. This is a physical genealogy that God used to lead to Jesus. God used these stories and brought forth the light of the world. And now God invites us to take part in someone else's spiritual genealogy. To use our stories to lead them to Jesus. That's how God's going to use your uniqueness for his kingdom. And so I want to pray right now for each and every one of us that we, we would do the work to find the story, find the stage, and then find the courage to share it. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, God, I thank you for the story that you have authored in my own life, God. God, it has been unexpected. It has had amazing, incredible moments. It has had plenty of mundane, boring moments, and it has had plenty of dark moments as well. But God, the reality is and the truth is that you have been there and been working in every single one of them, and I thank you for that. Every single moment has led me to Jesus. And God, I thank you for the stories in this room. I actually want to thank you in advance for the dark and broken stories. For those who are still in the middle of it, I pray that today they would have received a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope that the light is coming. A new day will dawn. A new chapter will begin. God, I pray for those who feel inadequate, that their story is too average, too boring. I pray that today they would see potential. They would see the potential for what you want to do, who you want to reach through their stories. God, I thank you for the blessings, for the amazing stories that you're telling in this community. And I pray you would give us the courage to share it and that those stories would transform people and that their stories would transform people who transform people. Would we take part in this spiritual genealogy that is leading our story and our world to the heart of Jesus? God, reveal to us the stories that you're telling in our lives. Show us where the stage is. And God, would we just release a shout of praise in the form of the story that you are graciously authoring in and through our lives.